Hello and welcome to Coexisting. It's 2020 and due to the coronavirus making its way across the world, we find our towns and cities in lockdown in an effort to slow the pandemic. I'm Lara Lightbody, the producer of this show. Apart from the COVID headlines filling our screens, I was curious to hear how people were living day to day. So I asked the same eight questions to people in different countries to get a glimpse of their lives during their version of Shelter at Home. The questions I ask cover life right now as that person is living it. What day of shelter are you on? What are the rules in place? What is it like in the streets where you live? What practical advice has helped you at this time? What is your most memorable moment? And what would you say to someone who is feeling low today? It's part information, part human story archive, but mainly trying to get an uplifting bent on this insane situation we find ourselves in, and at the same time preserving these memories in audio. Memories that will, in a few short months, be forgotten. So, plug in those headphones or that speaker, grab a cup of tea or a glass of the good stuff and take a seat. This is Coexisting. Hi, my name is Alia. I'm speaking from London. I am a psychotherapist and a psychologist. So it's the 4th of March 2021 now, which I had to check that because it's difficult to keep up with time at the moment. And I think because in the UK we've had, I think flip-flopping is a very unattractive word, but we have had had like a lot of changes. Uh, the government don't really seem to have a clear strategy that is going to preserve life, it seems. I know that sounds a bit extreme, I guess, but we've had lockdowns. We've come out of lockdowns prematurely. We're now in our third lockdown. There's now talk of lifting lockdown again prematurely. I don't think it's really the time. We were in a lockdown around the Christmas time. And I do remember that at that point, the government encouraged or allowed people to kind of bend the rules and see each other. I spoke to a nurse who mentioned that there was a family that she treated and they had people in the hospital from three different generations who had lost their lives. After that, we went into another lockdown. It's been a few months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the evening. I've been working all day. I'm sitting at my desk once again. I did move to the bed and I'm back at the desk now. I kind of took a few minutes to just sit in my bed, but then I had to speak to the news people because uh, there's been a 1% pay increase announced for NHS workers. So they wanted to hear what we think about that, particularly after yesterday's budget, uh, which had nothing really for NHS workers apart from more cuts, despite the fact that we really need a lot more uh, resources and funding so yeah I mean I'm sitting in my room it's quite dark I can see a lot of books around me which is usually quite inspiring I think at the moment it's a little bit stressful because I can't read them I can barely read anything for very long at the moment given just the amount of stress and the amount of work that we've got on and I've taken on other bits and bobs as well but sometimes you just have to and I think that's what the NHS are finding at the minute. So the National Health Service, the NHS, it is designed to provide free health care to everybody, 
regardless of who they are, where they come from in this country, free at the point of use. So what that means is that if you have a illness or if you need surgery, if there's something that happens to you where you need health care, you can get that for free. It's excellent. It's amazing. It's revolutionary. And it's not seen around the world in most places. And I mean, in in the Western world, even it's a real novelty. It's excellent. And it's paid for by taxpayers money. A lot of it is quite a socialist piece of work, really. It's, It's really good. It's really in danger at the moment. And it has been for a long time. I think you'll often hear that, you know, oh, if it was going to get privatised, it would have been privatised by now. Lots of it is. This is why it's failing. This is why we have got this huge backlog of surgery. This is why so many people have died of COVID in this country. This is why, you know, we've had frontline workers dying of COVID because they haven't had the correct protective equipment. That's pretty unusual. It's quite a strange contradiction, I suppose. We've got this incredible health service, envy of the world. At the same time, we're gutting it, we're destroying it, we're dismantling it at the time where it's needed most. So normally for a living, what I do is work in child and adolescent mental health services. It's been a really, really tough time in CAMS. It's kind of abbreviated too. It's been really, really tough, actually. And I think half my caseload have found it really lovely not having to go to school because the school system fails a lot of young people. You know, there's the education system is quite pressurising and difficult. So half of my caseload are doing quite well. The other half are really struggling. We've seen a real upsurge in dangerous behaviours, quite frankly, lots more self-harm, lots more suicide, if I'm honest. And it's a difficult thing to talk about on a podcast, but it really has been a horrible time in CAMS. So yeah, we're all doing much more work than usual, which is quite usual, actually, but it's kind of an exponential increase in the workload and, and also the extremity of cases. They're coming in thick and fast. I think it's tough, isn't it? I kind of alluded to the mismanagement of the pandemic and the way that lockdowns have not been properly implemented. And during lockdowns, obviously, we need more support for families. We need more support for particularly the more vulnerable families and the people who, you know, work in precarious employment, need more childcare, people who need conversation, food, lots of things. So I think young people have been struggling, particularly those who live in difficult circumstances where their parents don't necessarily earn that much money. And I think what we've seen is a lot of children, you know, I've had a lot of children saying I haven't seen my dad for a very long time because he's always at work. So I do feel like it has been a tough time and and, and lockdown has meant that young people can't see their friends, their family. Some of them are stuck in domestic violence situations, which is quite horrible. But, you know, lockdowns are important. So I just want to add that as well, because they save lives. And if we'd kind of done this a year ago, I think it's clear to anybody in any part of the world, if we'd done this properly last year, we would be walking around, getting on with things right now. I'm quite active politically and I'm I'm quite engaged in a campaign called Keep Our NHS Public, which is the biggest campaign against privatisation which is the outsourcing of NHS services. We've seen lots of that during the pandemic. And that means lots of money goes into that company and doesn't come back into the NHS. And we've lost billions of pounds to private companies and friends of MPs and things like that. 
how did I get involved? I don't like to use such strong terms, but I've definitely been a socialist for a very long time. Not my whole life. I was almost anti-politics as a teenager. I just wasn't really interested. And, and I think it was, you know, I was quite cool, actually. So I think I think that just comes with the territory. You're like, ah, oh, I don't care, la, la, la. But, you know, the more I got into the world and working and living and, and seeing and understanding, I realised how important it was to fight for what is what you believe in. And, and I came to realise I believe in people. I believe in fairness and equality. I believe in compassion for your fellow person, really. So that's why I found myself gravitating towards other people who have similar interests, educating myself kind of outside of work, which has been hard. So it's been difficult, but you find people who help. And that's been really key, I think, over the pandemic time, I think. A lot of people have felt really hopeless and maybe that's what got me into it. You know, this feeling that everything is kind of rubbish and, and, and what do we do about it? Can we do anything? Well, yeah, you realise that you can. It really builds your confidence and your optimism in the human race, which I think is key at this time. After the election, not very long ago, it was quite a disappointing election result for people like me. You know, a few of us got together and said, well, we've got to continue campaigning, man. Like, we've got to continue doing something because the situation is going to get worse. So luckily, <laughs> we formed NHS Staff Voices right at the beginning of 2020. We managed to do one organised action before lockdown. We designed a huge banner outlining the 5,549 deaths of people waiting for beds. So people died on trolleys, hospital trolleys, waiting for a bed over the winter. The media made it out to be an NHS crisis, blamed it on the NHS as they do, but it was because of government underfunding cuts. So it said the winter crisis is the government's crisis, don't blame our patients. There was a lot of nonsense in the media about it being to do with patients and patients using A&E incorrectly. So we got the banner, we flung it over Westminster Bridge. So we did like a banner drop. We got some good press out of that and that was quite good. After the first wave of COVID, we lost a lot of staff members. We lost a lot of our colleagues. I haven't spoken to one NHS worker, including myself, who doesn't know people who have died during this pandemic. Co-workers, I mean, uh, who have lost their lives. And the PPE situation is still... I would say laughable, but it's actually quite upsetting uh, that there is an adequate protection for people. So we we kind of did a candlelit vigil and we walked down the bridge and took some candlelights to Downing Street. We had one kind of lantern for every thousand people who'd lost their lives. At that point, there was, I think, 65,000 excess deaths. And then we read the names of the co-workers that we'd lost. And it was really quite a touching evening. We managed to speak to a lot of press and raise a lot of awareness and get a lot of abuse on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing that we try and do, basically. I hope the NHS will survive this. I mean, I've seen plenty of people like me come alive over this time and put their all into NHS activism while working in the NHS 
at the same time, many of my friends have burned out. Many of my friends have had to take time off and had to really take a step back from activism. So, yeah, I think we need more people, really, to fight for the NHS. We need more people to understand what's going on in the NHS and share their outrage with others and act on their outrage as well. And if that happens, yeah, I think it will survive. I think it will survive, yeah. So the People's Inquiry, uh, the People's Covered Inquiry, it's called... It's basically the inquiry that many people have called for that the government have postponed or, or said that they, they might do or they will do at some time. But keep our interest public have taken it upon themselves or ourselves to provide the public with some answers. And that's what it is. The fact that we've had the highest number of health worker deaths in Europe, but also the highest number of deaths of the population in Europe, I think that's astonishing. And that's what the People's COVID Inquiry wants to understand. It's there to try and understand what has gone wrong. Why have we failed so incredibly? What do we need to do to move forward in the NHS and as a society, really? It's looking good. We've had one session so far. The inquiry is headed by um, Michael Mansfield. He's a lawyer. And Laura, you will know, I imagine. He's quite an interesting guy. I think he was involved in the Stephen Lawrence case. He represented the family, I think. The Hillsborough disaster. We've got Lorna Hackett, who's a barrister, counsel to the inquiry. And then we've got Professor Nina Modi. We've got Dr. Tulula Oni, Dr. Jackie Davis. And these are really prominent, important um, health workers who have a lot of knowledge. We've got our experts, we've got our panel, the head of the inquiry, and they interview. They cross-examine. It's really quite fun, but it's also very, very informative. So we have a panel of experts and a panel of public, basically, talking about their experiences of the pandemic, cross-examined uh, by the different people who are heading the inquiry. And yes, it will all be written up and it will all be available for people to read. And the idea, I hope anyway, is that we will then take it to Parliament and provide them this information as well. I tuned into the first session. It was really interesting, but also quite emotional and stories that you won't have heard. COVID has been life changing in that I was quite shy. I'm still quite shy, but I'm much better at speaking to the news now because I kind of have to do it quite regularly. Before this, I spoke to LBC. After this, I'll be speaking to Sky because of this 1% pay rise nonsense that we're hearing. And yeah, I think it's just where you're needed. You just kind of jump to it. It's been really bizarre, actually, and quite surreal, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, hearing the NHS on the radio. That was so weird. Just hearing people say, the NHS, la, 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 la. I couldn't get my head around it at first. Having worked in the NHS for about 10 years, 10 plus years, and being thoroughly ignored <laughs> for a long time, I found that quite something. Little did I know that we were going to have such a disastrous uh, response to the pandemic. And little did I know the NHS was going to become such a huge talking point for everyday people. I do feel more passionate about the NHS. I'm a psychotherapist and I've always dreamt of being a private practitioner. I've always imagined myself in private practice. I'm in my seventh year of training as a therapist and that's what I've always thought I was going to do. I haven't done it. It's very unlikely I'm going to do it for a while. I'm now doing a lot more work for free. And I think that's going to be my life for a little while. 
lot of people are struggling with this. You know, I am quite lucky. I get help from my family. If things are really, really bad, I can turn to my mom. A lot of people don't have that. And so I think a lot of people will be leaving the NHS. And that's sad. In my profession, people have been leaving the NHS for a long time. You know, we get calls all the time. Hey, do you want to work for this company and earn twice as much and actually have a laptop that works? And, you know, we actually provide lunch. Oh, my God, what are you talking about? All of these kinds of things that I think other people in other professions are quite used to. Private companies are moving in on us. So it's a difficult time for people in the NHS. I think it refers back to your question about, is there going to be an NHS? The more I think about it, the more I realise that if there are people working in the NHS, they will be in NHS. I've heard this phrase a few times, you know, we are the NHS or, you know, the NHS is its staff. And I'm realising that more and more now, particularly given my understanding that management and bureaucracy are incredibly corrupt. And naively, I wasn't really aware of that before. I was quite comfortable in my optimism, really, that people were interested in uh, providing health and continuing to provide health that is free at the point of use. I find it so mind-blowing that people aren't fighting tooth and nail for the NHS. I find it, again, it's not funny. It's just really absurd. You know, people can get quite a lot done on the NHS at the moment. That's not going to be available. You know, if you break your leg, that's going to cost you a lot of money. That is what we're going to be seeing more and more of. People not being able to care for their parents or their children or themselves, pay for the care, I mean, and people losing their lives because of this. Now, I became very unwell in 2017, at the end of 2017. On my 31st birthday, actually, I was uh, sedated and intubated, much like people who are suffering with COVID, actually. And I was in hospital. I calculated the care that I received and how much it would cost. It was at least a thousand pound a day in the ITU. And I was there for three months. I think it is bizarre that people aren't fighting for the NHS because they won't be able to afford the care. I think people do need to better understand what it means to have to pay for your care. We live in a time where the government have been found guilty for not publishing contracts where they have pumped billions of pounds into the coffers of their friends, into companies that aren't capable of doing the jobs that they've been employed to do. We've seen lots of corruption called cronyism, but it's corruption. We've seen government officials doing as they please. We've even seen Boris Johnson not following the rules. We've seen, you know, the government lying to the public continuously over this time. I think the reason people don't understand what is going on is because they're being bamboozled, I think is a good word, by the government constantly. We've seen people really freak out because they don't trust the government. We've seen massive anti-mask protests. I've got friends who are, you know, smart activists who have also become very confused. And this mistrust of the government has led to people becoming very unaware. And there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of fake news. And when I say that, I mean, people are denying that there's privatisation going on. They're denying that a lot of this money is being wasted. So, I mean, an example, a go-between. So somebody who wasn't actually doing 
anything apart from communicating between the government and a company that was supposed to be providing NHS PPE. So this person was paid £21 million of taxpayer money, a Spanish businessman who acted as a go-between to secure protective garments for the NHS was paid $28 million, so that's £21 million of UK taxpayer cash. That should tell you something. Test and trace consultants have been paid £7,000 a day, for example, by the government. One of the stats was that some of these companies are being paid more in a week than nurses are paid in a year. And they haven't been doing a good job. We've had, you know, millions of pieces of PPE being lost. Lots of it doesn't work. Lots of it is out of date. And there isn't enough of it. That's unheard of, I think, in most places. The UK has pumped billions of pounds into companies that haven't been doing the jobs properly. And lots of them have links to Tory ministers. It's there for us to see, you know, if you're interested, just Google it. Let me think, let me think. There must be something nice. Not really. Everyone is thoroughly depressed. I was quite impressed by my neighbours. That was pretty amazing, actually. So I live on my own, which hasn't been terrible for me because I tend to spend a lot of time on my own anyway. I was renting somewhere and the garden was just really quite a jungle. And it was impinging on everyone else's gardens, destroying all the fences. It was really quite spectacular. Um, So the woman who lives behind the house... She'd come to my front door and leave threatening notes and all kinds of things. And and she never left a number. So I was like, who do I, I mean, what do I do about this? Anyway, she turns up one night. I open the door and she's like, just tells me off. You know, this kind of older lady telling me off. And I'm just like, okay. I, I got a little bit scared. I realized who she was. And I said, look, dude, like, I haven't got time. I haven't got the skills. I don't know what you want from me. I'd like to help. Maybe I can do it myself, I said foolishly. And she said, yeah, do it yourself. And I, you know, after about a week of not doing it myself, she turned up again. She said, come on, let's do it. And I was like, what? And she brought her friend who was in his 80s, but is also a gardener. You know, I hate saying he was a legend, but he was quite a ledge, you know. he And, you know, we had like sickles. I was posing with the sickle, having a great time, but also ripping that place apart. We shredded the garden in about half a day that was pretty impressive I mean and quite bizarre and fun and nice and just different unusual and I've not seen her ever again but you know it was a day to remember and and she's forever in my memory yeah brilliant woman very angry very very yeah inspirational (laughs) my future (laughs) my future there's this brilliant picture and it's me with the sickle and her just looking at me and it's this jungle in between us. It's just the best picture ever. I'll have to send it to you. <laughs> I think it's been, you know, a tough time for a lot of people for a long time, but this has made things much more difficult. I think what I'd want to say is there is light at the end of the tunnel. Things will get better eventually but do find out what you're entitled to that's a strange thing to say but I think it's really important and I think it alleviates a lot of stress that a lot of people are feeling what's going to happen to to this support that I'm getting what's going to happen to my job even you know and to find out what you're entitled to if you can and get as much information as you can 
but also get as much support as you can. There is support available for mental health and there is financial support available as well. It might not be that much, but just find out what it is and, and try and get what you can, where you can. Hope is really important and I think a lot of people lose hope and in my work what we often do is hold that hope. It sounds like a cliche but actually it is what we do a lot of the time. This activism that I've been far more involved in over this year has taught me that doing that on a bigger scale is very important as well. It saved my life I think in terms of it saved my mental health over this time because it does help you understand the actuality of the system. And I think when people don't really understand what's happening and they don't really appreciate the difficulties that working people are facing, they feel angry towards the wrong people and they feel angry towards people that can actually help them as well. So the more we understand what's actually happening, the more we understand how we all impact each other, the more chance we have of surviving this and coming out of it stronger. I think a lot of people are feeling more optimistic just purely because of the sunshine. I do worry that the fact we are coming out of lockdown very soon may mean another bloody lockdown. I am worried about that and I kind of almost don't want to predict it. But let's be honest, I personally think we might end up more restrictions being imposed in the in the coming future because... I don't think we're dealing with it terribly sensibly even now. The thing about spring and summer is that we can sort of go and see our friends in parks and, and go and see people outside. And I think that is very important. People are getting vaccinated and it does mean that we can communicate. And I think that alone is going to be a huge improvement for people. I haven't seen any of my friends for a long time. I just want to get it back out there and just walk around and just just be in the world again. So I do appreciate that people are craving that. And if nothing else, we'll be able to, to smile at people in the street again, which will be quite nice. I think COVID has brought home the important things, the small, small pleasures and the small joys in life, like smiling at strangers on the tube or like even looking at people weirdly on the tube. I think that's equally enjoyable, really, because it's just the other side of the same coin, really appreciating human beings and for all this strangeness and wonderfulness. It's brought home the important things like going to the pub for some reason <laughs> has come out on top for many of us like who knew going to the pub was going to be such a fun thing that we never knew that we needed so so much I don't know I certainly didn't but I definitely missed that maybe cut that out <laughs> <laughs> I think with the NHS get involved however you can just get on your laptop do a little Google search and find out what's going on locally. There's going to be campaigns. There's going to be closures. There's going to be threats of privatisation. You know, it sounds complicated, but it's not. If you just Google in what's happening around you or go to the Key Power NHS public website, support the People's COVID inquiry, get involved, follow NHS staff voices, you know, see what we're doing. We will put links to all of this stuff, the People's COVID inquiry, NHS staff voices, 
Francis, Keep Francis Public, etc. We'll put all of the links in the show notes. So please don't worry about that because Lara's got you covered. And get in touch with us. Give us ideas. Tell us your stories. We're interested. If you work in the NHS, please, please, please get in touch with us. Get in touch with me. You know, and that goes for anyone in the NHS, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a cleaner, whether you're a porter, whether you're any staff member in the NHS and in in healthcare. Get in touch with us and we'll figure it out together, really, is the way that I see it. Something I found really, really useful over this time, and I think people's mental health is under more pressure at the moment. There is more pressure on people, and that does affect their mental health a lot more, particularly parents, particularly people who don't have that much already coming in in terms of finances, particularly people who are living in crammed households. I've somehow found myself finding baths really helpful maybe that sounds really silly it's like when someone says if you've got bad mental health go and do some exercise I mean that is good but it feels quite annoying when people say things like that I don't know though like I'm a bit rock and roll but I found baths really helpful you know I'm shocking myself I sit in the bath for two hours and watch what I call the Australian version of EastEnders called The Heights on BBC iPlayer. It's excellent. It's so good. It's like thorough working class Aussie. It's funny. It's gritty. Anyway, this is not about The Heights. But sitting in a bath, (laughs) it's just been so nice. I haven't even needed to eat chocolate for the whole month. I've just been living off baths. I mean, yeah, more than one a week, which feels indulgent, but... You've got to give yourself the little things in life. We're not doing the work, and this goes for people in the NHS as well, we're not doing the work to the quality that we used to be. We can't. Life's harder. So I suppose in terms of a call to action, talk to your fellow person. People are starved of communication. I mean, I know that because I'm a therapist and a lot of the people that I work with, if people just talk to them more, it's not other people's fault. I don't mean to put it like that. If we all talk to one another more, I think is really what I mean to say, the world would be a different place. Thank you for listening to Coexisting. It's Lara Lightbody, the producer of the show. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the story unfold, here is where I need your help. Hit the subscribe button so Coexisting comes up automatically in your feed. Secondly, write a review and rate with stars, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And if there's anyone out there that you think would make a great guest, just get in touch. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn as Coexisting Podcast. That way, that many more people will find us.